It was Swamp Gas. Episode 1 of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hello and welcome everyone to the podcast. I am your host Wayne along with my lovely co-host and wife Michelle. Hey there. Coming to you from the glacial dumping grounds known as the Michigan Basin where we cover such topics as UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, paranormal encounters, ghosts, the Michigan dog band, Bigfoot, and all things paranormal and strange in and around Michigan. Hey Michelle, here we are again, episode one. I know. Hey there, Wayne. Long time no see. All right. As you're at a long distance away across the desk from me. (laughs) So, uh, man, what a crazy couple weeks. And as teachers, as we get closer to summer break, the more and more stuff piles up on us, plus the kids coming back into the classroom. Yeah, we've been back face to face and virtual. It's a little bit of a feeling of a head hitting a brick wall on a daily basis. Yes, absolutely. Now we have kids online and some of them being brought back into the classrooms and then rotated out. And So if uh, anyone is thinking that teachers don't work on the weekends, I don't even know what a weekend is anymore. And how about teachers trying to do a podcast about the paranormal? That's because we feel like our lives are part of the paranormal. Exactly. That is 100% correct there. (laughs) I'm going to start seeing things soon, whether they're out there or not. Yeah, from lack of sleep and stress. (laughs) All right, so uh, let's get started here in episode one, our official episode one, even though we've already done an episode. Would this really be considered our episode one? The last one was our pilot. Hmm. That was our pilot episode, so here we are now enjoying officially episode number one. Uh, Good call, good call. Okay, so what we're going to look at to start with is some UFOs in the news. I know, ABC News finally uh, let go of talking about some of the politics and did a reporting of comparing the numbers from 2018 to 2019. ABC News reported on January 8th of 2020 that UFO sightings in North America jumped to nearly 6,000 in the year 2019. It says here that there was a rise in the numbers of North Americans who looked up into the sky in 2019 and found something that didn't look like a bird or a plane. Oh, isn't that funny how they always like to put that one little jab in there in all of these news articles? I always wait for Superman to follow one of their sayings. Well, what they used to do back in the day is they would have a graphic of the I want to believe poster in the background somewhere, and they would always start playing the X-Files music. The National UFO Reporting Center which tracks calls and messages from people around the U.S. and Canada about strange sightings in the sky, reported that it received over 5,900 sightings in 2019. That was a jump of about 3,400 in 2018. 
So Peter Davenport, who runs the independent organization that's based in Davenport, Washington, people called about seeing flashing white lights, fireballs, disc-shaped objects, or other oddities in 2019. Uh, he goes on to say that uh, there is a fluctuation in the number of reports over the years. Um, it's one of the big mysteries about ufology. Some years it's been low but it's gotten higher recently. And it looks like California has led the country with the most numbers of observations of UFOs, almost 500 in total. Florida came in second with almost 400. And then it, was, it looks like Washington State was in third with like 22, 222 last year. Oh, and if you think about it, too, the fact that all three of these states border large bodies of water. Yeah, that's that's interesting, because now we're getting all kinds of more recent reports about UFOs and USOs, unidentified submerged objects. And there is a report out there that talks about a pilot seeing a large triangular UFO coming up out of the Pacific Ocean and shooting up into the sky. So, and apparently there's supposed to be a photograph of this that the pilot took, but only the report was leaked. And I don't believe the photo was leaked as of yet. No, and I'm sure that that will be one of our in the news moments later on down the road. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, we had some people in this article from the American Astronomical Society try to debunk the UFO sightings. And, you know, they emphasize that the U in UFO stands for unidentified. And to this person's point out of the American Astronomical Society, I will grant them this, that many people are unaware of astronomical goings-on in space on any given day. Kind of makes sense because most people are squashed into large cities, lots of light pollution and things going on in the sky. I can kind of agree with that. We are kind of ignorant as to what's going on in outer space because we can't see it anymore, not like we used to. But then he goes on to say, for instance, Jupiter and Venus were more visible to Earth last year, and they can stand out in the sky, I think people would probably be okay in seeing a bright object like a planet at night versus something that's moving extremely fast and erratic in the air. Or within our own atmosphere. Yeah, and I think most people can see a, a bolide or a small meteor entering the atmosphere and kind of understand what that is. I mean, I teach that to kids all the time to simply be able to identify these things, you know, falling rocks and meteors, meteorites, you know, what that's, that's a big difference between what most people will report. So, um, and also though, I will say, that space, SpaceX has been launch, launching a lot of satellites into the air to make some money for their Mars missions and things like that. Well, they had launched, you know, um, 
right around 180 of those satellites into the air in 2019, wasn't it? Yeah, they had a very large number of launchings. Um, I think it says here that SpaceX launched something like 180 satellites during that year, 2019. So there is a lot of things we are putting up in outer space and in orbit. So it's like, is it one of our satellites or is it something else? And it's, you know, that's why it's unidentified because it's hard to tell. Um, But again, for people to mistake something as a UFO versus Venus or Jupiter, mm, I don't think so. I've never seen a planet that looked like a big triangle. (laughs) Not buying it. Or Navy pilots that see something coming out of the water right at them and go, oops, I'm sorry, that was actually Jupiter. Or airline pilots in Arizona that notice, you know, large capsules above them moving quite fast. Right, exactly. So it's 400 miles from a missile testing site. Right. And I'm sorry, a missile goes that close to an airliner. Somebody's heads are going to roll, right? So, and it wasn't seen on radar. So only the, the pilots visually saw it. So go figure. All right. Well, I think that's just going to wrap it up for the news this week in this episode. I think we should take a quick break. All right, Michelle, I think uh, we're just about ready to move on to our official Feature of the night. Yes, there you go. Our our feature swamp segment. Swamp gas. <laughs> right, swamp gas. But before we do that, I want to do a couple brief shout outs to some uh, very cool podcasters out there. And one of the first ones I wanted to mention and give a shout out to is the Midnight Truck Stop. That is hosted by Big T and Blue Knight. This podcast has one of the greatest concepts I thought was unlike anything else I've heard before. Um, And they've already had some great guests. They're a new podcast and uh, I think they're up to seven episodes already, but they've already had great guests on there like Terry Lovelace, who was the author of Incident at Devil's Den. And if you look these guys up on iTunes and they're their background a little bit it says something to the effect of you know these guys discuss those strange and unexplained incidents that so many of us have experienced while traveling along desolate highways truck drivers and long distance travelers from around the world have long claimed to have experienced everything from strange lights off in the distance to inexplicable and haunting encounters The highway can be a lonely and sometimes eerie place. And no one knows that better than the men and women who drive for a living. Just what a cool concept for a podcast. And I've listened to six of their seven episodes now and really, really enjoyed it. Um, Somebody else I want to give a shout out to is Jim Harold and his podcast, The Paranormal Podcast. He is probably one of, if not the top paranormal podcaster. And really one of the first pioneers in moving the discussion of the paranormal to the potosphere. So Jim Harold's Paranormal Podcast, definitely need to check that out. Great quality, great guy, and close by. He's out of Ohio. And uh, one more shout out I want to give is uh, 
Uh, one of my personal favorites is the Brothers of the Serpent podcast. And simply, they put their tagline as two brothers that explore the mysteries of the ages, the ancients, and the modern day. And they cover a lot of great stuff, but greatly produced podcast, high quality, great music that they make on their own. Um, the one brother, Kyle, is a great musician, and they come up with great music. So check out these podcasts and many, many more like that, those podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever all great podcasts can be found. All right, let's get into one of the, I think, one of the biggest UFO cover-ups outside of the 1947 Roswell incident. And so local to hear uh, for us here in Michigan, Absolutely. with it being the 55th anniversary. That's right. And I am talking about the 1966 Ann Arbor UFO sightings that happened here in Michigan. And it started around March, beginning of March in 1966. And it really all started with a gentleman and his son, Frank Manor, who was 48, and his son, Ronald, said that they saw a strange flying object that had landed briefly in a swampy area near his home around 8.30 p.m. Later on, so six sheriff's deputies said that they also saw flying objects in the skies in the Dexter area as well. So Dexter's kind of around Ann Arbor, kind of to the west of Ann Arbor. So now we even have sheriff's deputies that were reporting seeing some flying objects in the sky. And that even got one of our representatives at the time, a Weston E. Vivian, told the sheriff, who was Sheriff Harvey, that he was making an official inquiry of the Department of Defense and the Air Force during that time. They wanted somebody to come out and have true investigation of what people were seeing because it, it started with Frank Manor, but then the sheriff's deputies started seeing these things and they started having more and more people call in. So Vivian agreed that the incidents should certainly be looked at by the U.S. government. And then Manor went on to describe the object as glowing red and green lights, which was in a marshy area about 500 yards from him and his son. When Ronald spoke, the lights went out immediately and the object reappeared a distance away. Moments later, it was gone, he says. So they did come out and they did a check for radioactivity and looked for any physical evidence, but there was none near the swamp or in the swamp when they came to check it out. Now, later, now this is really bizarre. Later, a William Van Horn, who was 41 and a civil defense director for the Hillsdale County College reported he and 87 Hillsdale College coeds watched an eerie hovering flying object in a swampy hollow near a school dormitory. He said they watched it through the binoculars for three hours. 
he described it emitted wavering orange, red, and white lights and hovered over the swamp about a thousand yards away from the girls' dormitory. Now, swamp gas. Just keep that in mind. Swamp gas. Well, and don't forget that there was a video that was supposedly sent out to New York. Oh, that was a, a photo. So this was all, everything I'm telling you um, out there in the potosphere was in the Ann Arbor News on March 22nd, 1966. So I'm pulling information from that edition. But it has been long since buried and forgotten. But you're right. There was a photo taken by a sheriff's deputy, two of them, as a matter of fact, but we'll get to that here in a minute. So, and then one of the other things that was reported was that the air force said they were sending the great one and only Dr. H. Allen Hynek, chairman of the Dearborn observatory at Northwestern university in Evanston, Illinois to investigate Yes, you know who Heineck is. That's right. He was the head of Project Blue Book during that time. So, and that was the the official program that the Air Force and the government had put together for trying to track down and identify these flying objects that people were reporting. So that was all reported in the March 22nd, 1966 edition of the Ann Arbor News. The thing is, is that these sightings and whatnot were going on for at least two or three weeks before it even made it into the news. Uh, The sightings and things were going on for weeks before it even made the news. March 25th, 1966. So reports and publishing of two clear pictures of saucers taken by sheriff's deputies. This was a article that was released a few days later where it talks about the sheriff's deputies had actually captured a picture of two of these saucer-like objects. They were taken on the morning of March 17th by Deputy David Fitzpatrick. Ted Graham told sheriff's deputies he had seen a large disc-shaped object floating over the Huron River. Graham said the object had an iridescent glow and had red lights at either end. He said he was less than 40 yards away from the object, which rippled the waters of the river and made a noise like a blower when it zoomed up into the sky and disappeared. Graham called the sheriff's department, but officers found nothing. Well, of course, it's hovering over the river. What is it going to do? It's not going to leave any signs of it being on a river. Heineck was in, came to the area at this time, and then they brought him over to the Huron River, um, and the sheriff's men brought him there, but it was he was unable to see anything or find anything. Uh, then there started to become what they called a flood of saucer reports from a half dozen states. Now, this is interesting, though. So figure how slow the news is kind of moving during this time in 1966. But then all of a sudden there was a flood of saucer reports from a half dozen states. But the most startling evidence yet uncovered was the two pics by Fitzpatrick, which was the sheriff's deputy who got those pictures. 
they received a radio call that a police car in Milan south of them, so Milan is in southern Michigan to the south of Ann Arbor, and they had spotted a strange object in the sky. So these officers in Milan were helping with an accident investigation, and they told the sheriff's officers that they had seen this object. So the sheriffs came to help with the accident investigation. Fitzpatrick had drove south and then set up a tripod and placed his small Minex camera on it. From between 5.30 and 6.15 a.m., Fitzpatrick snapped two time exposures, which had aroused the military and puzzled scientists. So that's how they got the pictures of the objects. Police in Myland were dealing with an accident. They call the sheriff's department saying that they see something in the sky. The sheriff shows up at the accident, helps with the accident. Then they go and set up their camera and leave the exposures running for a little bit. And that's when they caught the two flying saucers between 5.30 and 6.15 a.m. Or as Heineck would like to call them, a flying chicken feeder. Yeah. Um, yeah, Heineck, uh, he made a lot of people angry in this area during that time with Not his little you. news conference that he did. I still say that the the best line of any of this is from the sheriff at the time when he says, with all due respect to Dr. Heineck, I'm not ready to accept this weak excuse of gas from marshes. Exactly. Best line. Getting into that, we're going to move on to the next day, March 26, 1966. And this is Heineck and Project Blue Book's response. The photos were caused, this is what he says, the photos were caused by overexposure of the rising moon on the right and the planet Venus. That sounds familiar, like people don't know how to identify the moon and planets in the sky. But he goes on to say, quote, I have determined that these pictures, and he's talking about the sheriff's deputies' pictures, without any question." as would be apparent to any astronomer, were trails made as a result of the camera time exposure of the rising crescent moon on the right and the planet Venus. This was in front of more than 60 newspaper reporters and radio and television newsmen at the conference, the Detroit Press Club. So it was a a, a news conference that he held at the Detroit Press Club. It was a big deal. Okay, a lot of people were there because a lot of people have been seeing things and reporting things. And that was his response. Here's the thing. Heineck failed to explain why a half a dozen other stars visible in Fitzpatrick's picture are not also elongated and streaked from the exposure position of the camera. Also, he was unable to explain to the reporter's satisfaction how the moon or Venus could be seen by Fitzpatrick and Sheriff Sergeant Snyder. Um, that was the guy that uh, the deputy that was with Fitzpatrick was uh, Sergeant Snyder making lightning like movements upward, downward, and to either side. Heineck said, quote, 
The deputies continued to see one of the objects after dawn broke because the moon and other stars are clearly visible even in the daylight. <laughs> now imagine what it must have been like sitting in that press club with him saying something like that with sheriff's deputies, the sheriff sitting there. It was an absolute all of these people giving an account because they're there and they see it. Yep. And he is not there and just going off of whatever he can conjure up in his head. He well, was he was put on the spot, right? Well, he had here's to come the thing. Up Let, let's go on to what saying what they said that the girls at Hillsdale College hmm. were playing with that they right. were playing that eighty seven girls were playing with flares, and what they saw was the like the illuminescence off of the flares 87 girls don't play with flares well all right so i'm not old enough to have been alive in 1966 close but not quite and i am sure that one of the pastimes of young ladies at college was not playing with flares of any type while away at college. I just, that's, here, let me potentially burn myself and go play with flares for a moment. Oh yeah. Let's just set, you know, the neighborhood little forest on fire. Um, <laughs> so he also, by the way, he couldn't account for the rapid rising of the objects, which the deputies said rose in broad daylight until they became mere specks in the sky. So the deputies are seeing these things take off and go up into the sky. It's a complete and utter whitewash. It is a cover-up that is beyond cover-ups, but is kept quiet. If I dig into this a little bit more, um, it says here, as for Frank Manor, his farm and Dexter and the Hillsdale County Civil Defense Director, William Van Horn, and 87 Hillsdale College co-eds, Hynek attributed them to swamp gas. Here's what he says, quote, rotting vegetation in swamps produce gases which are trapped by ice and winter conditions. When a spring thaw occurs, the gases are released. These gases ignite into a flame of chemical luminescence, which moves quickly and freely, up, freely about, Hynek said. Okay. So we're talking early March. Still very cold here in Michigan. Sure, you have rotting vegetation in swamps. You have swamp gas, but then you need something to set it off. You need something to ignite it. It doesn't just spontaneously ignite. You need like lightning, okay? Like a thunderstorm comes through and lightning hits swamp gas. Boom, you do, okay? But... I've never heard of swamp gas taking off, hovering for three hours, changing colors. I know that they had reported rain, but I didn't see anything in past weather reports where they said that they reported lightning too. No, there was, there was no reports of that. Um, and to your point earlier, I have, quote, a dismal swamp, or this isn't to your point earlier, but this is something else that Heineck said. Now he's getting a little uh, cheeky. Heineck says, 
quote, a dismal swamp is a most unlikely place for a visit from outer space. It is not a place where a helicopter would hover for several hours or where a soundless secret device would likely be tested because there was ideas that the government was testing secret uh, aircraft and vehicles here in Michigan. Um, so there was a report. Uh, I think it was said from one of our state reps at the time said that they thought it might be something to do with the government testing secret aircraft. Um, so that's what he was kind of uh, referring to. And then, of course, this made the public extremely angry. Um, looking at Frank Manor's wife, they interviewed her and she said um, to Heineck, Heineck is all wrong and her husband and son just wouldn't lie. I saw it and my husband and son saw it. I think there's something going on that people don't know about. I'm scared. I want to pack up and move. I can't blame her. Right? She was that afraid that she wanted to leave her house. She wanted to pack up and move. And I'm sorry, but people that have been farmers for their lives, they know what swamp gas is. Again, it's like not knowing that you're looking at a planet or a moon. Come on. Uh, Van Horn, who was the the director of the civil defense at Hillsdale College, went on to say um, he's the one that stared up at the objects for three hours, and he was very bitter. He said, quote, there were no flares involved with this. I think I will prove this prove Heineck in a few weeks. I also didn't care for his methods of investigation. And then we have Milton Ferguson who backs up the director. He's the college director of public affairs. He gave a strong backing to Van Horn's criticism. Here's what he said. He goes on to say, quote, what these people saw had no resemblance to rockets or flares. I don't know what it was, nor do the people who saw it, but this is trying to explain it arbitrarily. The Air Force is going to get into trouble going on in this way. It seems like a whitewash. A hundred percent. One hundred percent whitewash. And I have something else. A little secret information kind of tucked away that I found. You ready for this one? This is just mentioned very, very quietly in an article that was revisiting this in 1999 in the Ann Arbor News in a little small section. So on October 4th, 1999, they interviewed Sheriff Harvey about the sightings. And he's still stuck by his men and what they saw. He said he was contacted by Heineck and his team to dig into the matter. Then... When Heineck got there to his office, quote, then Heineck got a phone call in my office from Washington. So he knows it was from Washington. The next day he released the press or released to the press that it was swamp gas, close quote. So Heineck showed up in Ann Arbor. Because he was their front man. Was going to quote unquote investigate. And was told by the higher-ups to... Didn't do much of anything. 
Nope. Gets a phone call, then calls the press conference for the next day and he's got it all figured out. Yep. Absolute whitewash done. Did what his his superiors told him to say. Yep. And even Gerald Ford, who later became president of the United States, got involved to get somebody from the federal government out here. And this is what happened. And this has all been buried away because, well, everybody knows about Roswell, right? So the Ann Arbor, all of this stuff in Ann Arbor that happened in 1966, a little bit more modern of a uh, sightings. Nobody knows about it. Not even many people here in Michigan know about it. So if you want a perfect example of how UFOs were covered up in the past and what they would come up with and how the federal government had responded, there you go. Total cover up. It's the easiest way out. That way they don't have to investigate any further. I think people got so mad during this and the news got so mad that they just decided to put their heads in the sand as well and just say, you know what, if the government is going to turn on us and tell us this, when we know that there's something going on, they even drew a picture. If you go on our Facebook group, UFO sightings and paranormal encounters, Facebook group, I put up a picture of the drawings that were made by the sheriff's deputies of a flying saucer with the different lights on it. And they call it out. Well, and then the problem too, is once it hit the newspapers during that time, after the press release, then you had the sheriff's office still having to file reports anywhere from, you know, Concordia university there in Ann Arbor to Ypsilanti to Celine. So yeah, it's kind of like where, where they, really sightings you know real sightings or was it just a uh, continuation of the mass media that was going on in the Ann Arbor area during that time in 66 right yeah I mean who's to say I mean things have changed quite a bit with and it's taken a long time because of how the media has portrayed the whole UFO and paranormal they will always play the X-File music in the background. They will always, you know. And they'll depict aliens in that neon right. 80s right. green that you can see from, you know, miles away. Exactly. So I think some of that stigma is starting to change. And now, and I think to our news article at the beginning of the podcast, now we see more people are interested in reporting their sightings and come forward. I think uh, it's starting to be taken seriously finally after all this time. And a lot of it has to do with the media, but then I have to think that the media gets bullied a little bit too in not wanting to cause a panic. I mean, where have we heard that before? And not to cause a panic. The media does what the media does. So, and they do exactly what they're told to do. Yeah. Unfortunately. Question everything, folks. Question everything. (laughs) Right. Are we living in a simulation? Oh, stop. That I think is going to wrap up what we wanted to cover on this podcast for episode one. Huge, huge conspiracy as far as I'm concerned right here in Michigan that nobody knows about. It's been so 
well covered up that not many people know about this. You have to dig around in the library. And kind of bringing it back to the light 55 years later. Exactly. And, you know, here it is, March 14th, Pi Day, that we are recording this. Yes, happy Pi Day, everyone. That's right. Hopefully you've got a nice apple pie or a pecan pie. So, okay. Well, I think we're going to wrap this one up. What do you think? Until next time, folks. All right. Keep your eyes up in the sky. You have been listening to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. You can reach us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mi underscore UFO and join our Facebook group by searching for Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters. So until next time.